Life Audio. Hey, welcome to the Happy Ramp Podcast. I am Ted Cluck, joined as always in studio by my good friends, my partner in radio, Barnabas Piper. Pipe, just uh, just you and me again this morning. Um, this is becoming the norm rather than the exception. Um, when I stopped receiving pictures from Ron, which was a day or two ago, he was in Dallas. But this morning he indicated that he's in, quote, a remote part of Texas. Is he at like a dude ranch? Do they have Ron doing like manly stuff like to break him? Uh, is he is he like riding horses or like roping cattle? What well, what's Ron doing in a remote part of Texas? My my uh, my internet journalistic investigative <laughs> journalistic skills tell me that that they were at the uh, the Magnolia. Um, I don't know what do you call that place with the two big silos where where all the shiplap comes from. Oh um, yeah, I was gonna say the shiplap place, the Chip and Joy yeah. Gaines place, right? Which yeah, is in Gaines, like they, uh, they were, it's in Waco area. Yeah, Waco. Yeah. So that was that was within the last day or two, and so you know I wasn't aware that Waco was particularly remote. So maybe they've gone yeah. from there to somewhere more remote. Well, you know how it is. I mean, you can't get internet in Waco. You know, I mean, it's just too hard. Um, you know what's interesting about that to me is that Ron positions himself as sort of so unique and so different, and there's no one like me. And yet, <laughs> I feel like every Christian white couple between the ages of like 25 and 70 have made the pilgrimage down to the, sh- the Shiplap place uh, where Chip and Joanna Gaines are. I, j- I just, I wonder how, like, I wonder how he's going to frame that on social media. You know what I mean? Um, if it'll be like a like a wink, to be, wink. To be fair, the picture was of Big M, which you know. So there's already a framing there in that you know this is this is a meaningful. I'm doing place this for my wife. wife. Yeah, yes. I'm a good husband. Yeah, big sweetheart. Yeah, that kind. I'm of sure thing. he bought some apple butter or whatever it is. They probably don't do apples in Texas. I don't know, <laughs> beef fat butter or something yeah. from uh, from yeah. them. Yeah. That, well, keep an eye on the socials. We'll uh, we'll we'll definitely see what's going on. Um, Pipe. After this quick break, you and I are going to talk books. You and I are going to talk some different book categories, some favorites, um, the kind of activity that Ron doesn't uh, enjoy being put on the spot about. Um, I want to talk about Ron's history with books too, because I feel like when I met him, how long ago did you meet him? It was, I, I mean, it was when we were doing the podcast, so like he. Yeah. So it was, uh, so when Trogues and I and you were doing the podcast, whatever, like eight and a half years ago, at yeah. one point, I think you had to be out speaking at a camp or, I mean, this was, like, your life was kind of wild back then. Cause maybe it was yeah, when you were moving sure. to Tennessee. I'm not sure, but yeah. And Ronnie sort of guest hosted with us. Yeah. That was the first interaction I'd ever had with him. Yeah. See, I met him probably 15 years ago. And when I met him, he wasn't like a book guy. You know what I mean? He wasn't like, hey, look at my bookshelf. You know, he wasn't that guy. Larry, like, I'm hosting a book club. And now, like, he's that guy. Um, so I don't know if he was that guy all along, and it was just pre-social media, so nobody knew. Um, or if he kind of came into the book guy thing, like, later in life. But at any rate, we're going to talk about books, and we'll do that right after this short break. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. 
we have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. All right, Pipe. We're back. Um, You texted along some categories that you had thought about a long time ago vis-a-vis talking about books. Um, and I want to start with a heater, man. I want to just start with a hot one, with a controversial one that's going to offend some people right out of the gate, at least on my end. And that is this, a book that is beloved that you can't stand. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure when I wrote these questions down, I had a very particular book in mind and I was trying to put that one on a T and now I have to remember what it was. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Dude, if you want to think for a minute, I've I've got one. I've got one dialed up. And actually, it brought me some heat this week at camp. Okay. It's Lord of the Rings. Oh. I'm just not a Lord of the Rings guy. Yes. <laughs> it's just not, dude. And 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 any I'll say this. In that genre, it, well, I'll I'll give a couple of caveats. I mean, I admire what the author did with it. Obviously, it's it's masterful, and I could never do it, and I admire it. And I just have this thing where if the book involves like a fantastical created world, I'm just out. If it has a dragon, I'm out. Um, I just have no interest in any of that stuff. And I'm, I'm sure it's an amazing book for someone else, but um, it's beloved. And, and you know... Without fail now in Christian circles, especially like younger person Christian circles, which are primarily like very Tolkienian, homeschooly kind of circles, um, someone will ask me what I think of Lord of the Rings, and I'll have to be honest, and then um, you know they'll they'll come at me for a little bit. So. When when was the first time you read it or tried to read it? Gosh, I want to say probably college or post-college like it, it didn't drift across my transom in in childhood like it did for most people and i think if i think here's the thing i think if my parents had introduced me to it and been like oh my gosh this book is so special to us you're gonna love it i think i would have gone for it you know i think i would have been in but i don't know in college you're you're kind of focused on yourself hey it, maybe it was the wrong time maybe i should try it again Maybe. I mean, if you hate the genre, I'm not sure it's going to do much for you, though. Like, there there has yeah. to be a certain sort of uh, kind of love of the fairy tale. And I think, yeah. you know, I, like, if you read, you know, you read Tolkien, you read Lewis, you read Chesterton, mm-hmm. and the, all these guys write sort of in defense of fairy tales. Sure. And really what they're writing is in defense of imagination. Yeah. And so you can, that can go a different way. Like, you don't necessarily, in, in their their day and time that was you know 
ghouls, ogres, the fantastical characters, you know, that kind mm-hmm. of stuff, which I love. You know, I've, yeah. I've loved that since I was a kid. Like, it captured yeah. my imagination as, like, five and holds it still. But yeah. imagination can go any number of ways. So I... Yeah. It, I get not not liking the genre like that. That's mm-hmm. not lost on me. I I feel the same way about the vast majority of like literary fiction that is popular today. Well, yeah, absolutely. Which yeah. is you know where it's sort of like you're just sort of living inside someone's emotional, spiritual, relational mind as they navigate mm-hmm. you know a relationship or a breakup or whatever. And I'm like, this is literally my job. This is the same crap <laughs> true. that yeah. I have to listen to people talk about. I'm uh-huh. being particularly cynical right now. I actually like people, but it oh, just yeah. w- when you're trying to um, sensationalize what is actually just like, man, you need help. <laughs> it's yeah. a really dumb genre. So yeah. Yeah. I, I get I get despising a genre. I yeah. think okay, so uh, a book that I dislike that everybody else seems to like. I, I'm going to go the other way on this one, and, and I'm going to pick The Chronicles of Narnia. Oh, fascinating. Talk about so, it. So I don't hate The Chronicles of Narnia. And when I was a kid, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I genuinely loved them. But I went back and read them a few years ago, and I was like, Lewis can't write fiction very well. Interesting. Like, they're just not good. They're, yeah. they're, they're, they, are, they are kind of allegorically brilliant. And there's these, you know, there's like sections of text mm-hmm. that you're like, this is spectacular. Yeah. Except those are the sections of text that are the most reflective of Lewis's nonfiction. Mm-hmm. You know, something you read in like The Weight of Glory or whatever. Like right. I, his, I, there are a couple of them that like I like the uh, the Voyage of the Dawn Treader is is the closest I think in that whole series. Uh-huh. And then the um, why am I blanking? The uh, the nephew. Um, yeah, I don't know. Whatever the yeah. the one that is the one that is first chronologically and last in the order you're supposed to read them, Magician's mm-hmm. Nephew. Um, mm-hmm. Those two, I think, are are really good books. The others, I'm just like, I don't know. These these read like kind of dime a dozen kid stories with a strong Christian twist to them. And it, yeah. and I will go so far as to say, I think a lot of trash Christian fiction can be blamed on the way that Lewis wrote those because he wrote. With such a clear, like, and this is Jesus type of twist that people don't know how to write broader fiction with a Christian kind of eye on it. They're just like, well, we got to have a Jesus figure. We got to have an evil figure. We got to have like a – and I'm like, "Ah, everything doesn't need to be allegorical. I know, right? That's that's fascinating. So a follow-up question to that. Have there ever been – two authors ripped off more than Lewis and Tolkien because you know, like, like teaching college, every incoming freshman has like 35,000 words of their Tolkienian ripoff novel, like already written nowadays, <laughs> like, um, <laughs> which is, just kind of cute. And it's kind of, uh, and... that's particular to a college full of homeschoolers. Let me well, just yeah. go out on a limb here. I mean, yeah, but like that idea, that kind of heavily allegorical, uh, this thing stands for this thing thing. I feel like that was the that was the purview of Lewis and Tolkien, and and it's been just ripped off a whole lot. Can you think of any other authors that have been or, or ideas that have been ripped off to that degree? Um, let's see. I mean, the, I think what stands out about them is that they they moved they moved Christian writing 
or writing as Christians from like puritanical, and I don't mean that as a criticism, but rather yeah, yeah. more like a genre, right? Into a much broader sort of. So Lewis, on his nonfiction side, was you know he was apologetics. It was Christian thought. It was sort of how to engage right. ideas through the lens of you know deep Christianity and Tolkien. Yeah. He wasn't writing allegorically. He was writing fantasy fiction, which is a thing that was kind of dead at that point. Like he was so out of so out of the norm, and uh, and but writing it with a with a classical sense of sort of virtue, you know, courage, friendship, bravery, um, yeah. self sacrifice, these kinds of things. And so th- what they did was they sort of introduced whole ways of thinking that. Yeah people didn't learn how to think like them. They just tried to duplicate what they do, which is why when you read somebody like say Tim Keller, mm-hmm. it, it pops yeah. because he did pick up the ways of thinking of Lewis and then translated mm-hmm. it to the 20th and 21st centuries. Yeah, no, you're right. You're so right. And yeah, it's, it's fascinating to think about it that way, right? To think that, Christians writing fiction didn't really exist as a thing before those two. Um, and that honestly makes me a lot, you know, a, a lot warmer to it. And not that I'm cold to the idea of, of these two authors, but it just well, stylistically isn't a fit for me. And I want to, yeah. And I want to be clear. I don't hate the Chronicles of Narnia. Sure. I just don't resonate with the Chronicles. Like they are, they are upheld as, as borderline, you know, canon canon and yeah I'm, absolutely and i'm like yeah they're fine you know I, it, yeah. I'd, I'd rather i'd rather read you know the uh the princess the, you know the princess and curdy and and uh the princess and the goblin and some of those kind of older stories that actually influence lewis that i'm like this this feels like fantastical pseudo allegorical fairy tale fiction yeah but 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 written better yeah do you think those books meant so much to people because I'm sure you've had this experience, and I have too. Like from time to time, I'll run across like a a 55 year old man who's like still obsessed with you know Lord of the Rings or the Chronicles of Narnia or whatever. And and I oftentimes I think that book must have entered this person's life at a really uh, formative childhood time that they yeah. that they're sort of idealizing. And I, I say that with great affection because like idealizing the past is a part-time job for me it's like the thing i enjoy doing the most but but so for for somebody it was probably you know uh, chronicles of narnia but for me it was i don't know george plimpton's paper line or whatever that makes me think wistful thoughts about childhood um (laughs) which makes me think everybody probably has something like that so you know for me it's paper lion uh the kind of book that I don't want to say it made me want to be a writer, but it sort of like um, opened my eyes to the fact that football and writing could coexist. Yes, uh, which yep. was pretty cool. Um, are there any books like that for you from childhood that were just like turn on the light bulb kind of kind of books that that you know kind of got got you thinking about being a writer? Well, it's interesting when you talk about the obsession thing because one of the things that stands out about that to me is that it. obsessing about those books feels counter like decidedly opposite to Mm -hmm. what those authors would have wanted their readers to do yes yeah you know they 
they're trying to op- yeah. they're trying to open up imagination and horizons and instead people get smaller and smaller as they like learn how to speak elvish yeah and, and, and you're like and just, no you you have shrunk yourself down to a fictional world instead of realizing this is supposed to sort of lift your eyes to like oh there's a there's a world of there's not only a world of fiction and imagination there's a world of virtue and of good and evil and friendship yes. and all these different things and so i i i when i see stuff like that i'm like that's sad. I mean, you see the same thing with like Harry Potter, which are books right. that I thoroughly enjoyed. Yeah. Um, and, and same with the movies and, uh, and Jim Dale's audiobooks. They're all just delightful and have that sort of classic story to them. I think like, I think Tolkien would have looked at, at JK Rowling's work and been like, see, that's what's supposed to happen. Yeah. You're supposed to sort of take hold of this concept, these ideas and tell a different story. Right. Tell a different story for different ages, those yeah. kinds of things. But when people get obsessed with them, yes. they, they miss the point. And so, yeah, it, it, it's it's kind of a, a sad twist on the on the imagination piece. In terms yeah. of books that that captured me the way you talk about Paper Lion, I think um, I'm trying to think, Friday Night Lights. Oh, and, man. and that one comes oh. to mind specifically because you mentioned football. But Friday Night Lights was one where I realized that um, like the mundane is not mundane. Right. And so it, yeah. it, it shifted my, and so I think I read that as maybe a, maybe a freshman in college, mm-hmm. which was also the most poignant time because I was, I was, I, I, I played football through high school, <clears throat> considered going out for Wheaton, Wheaton's football team. And yeah. I probably would have been a guy who, who could have made the team and maybe played by the time I was an upperclassman some. Yeah. Like, yeah. definitely yeah. not a star player, not an elite athlete, but mm-hmm. adequate enough. And I just decided I, it wasn't worth the time and effort for me. Yeah. And I desperately missed football oh, as, a, as a freshman in college. Yeah. So then I read Friday Night Lights, and and it is the most... It was the most nostalgic thing I had ever experienced at that point in my life mm-hmm. about a very non-nostalgic story. Like the story is yeah. really about how, how nostalgia turns into like a weird twisted idol that puts a ceiling on all of life. Well, absolutely. Uh, yeah. You know, you got these guys who like won a title 15 years prior are still wearing around their, their state championship rings while being yeah. total deadbeats in, an, in a dead end town in, in uh, West Texas. Right. And, uh, but, but yeah, so it was just, I was like, oh, the sports is not a game. It's yeah. a human thing because, yes. you know, what Bissinger did in that was, uh, was tell the stories of mundane people in a mundane town, right. In a, in a profoundly human, deep relational, painful way Right. And, and you know, and and at layers of it, and so yeah, that was one that I was like, oh, you you don't, you can tell stories about anything, really. Yes, yeah. Well, and he did it in a way that's like, it's really universal, you know. Like he he wanted this sort of ubiquitously American experience, and you know, he chose Odessa, Texas. But my experience of reading that book, kind of like yours, was that. It was nostalgic for me, but he didn't intend it to be nostalgic, right? So he was just doing reportage. And in fact, I think he went to great lengths to keep kind of his own interior life out of it. You know, it it wasn't about 
his emotional experience with West Texas, but um, in allowing these people to tell their stories and just doing great reportage, like I had this experience with it where early in my marriage, I gave it to my wife to read and I'm just like, look, you didn't know me in high school, but read this. You know, this will, <laughs> yes, this will inform a lot of what my life was like before you in terms of the good stuff and the bad stuff, right? Like the, the idolatry of football, which is bad and which by that point in my life, I knew it was bad, but then also like all the romantic stuff, you know, and all the sort of and the power of it and yeah, in, the power uh, of in sports it. and relationship in, in both good mm -hmm. and bad ways. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah. And Man, that book is brilliant. I actually I teach it in one of my one of my classes at Union. And it's always, I think increasingly as the years go by, it's jarring to students, right? Um, it's jarring because of how honest and kind of raw and real it is. But he's not trying to be shocking. I mean, it's not well, like a modern you know, like a modern novel the, where yes, all kinds of he, depraved stuff is happening. And he doesn't he does not draw out anything. Right. You know, in the sense of like he doesn't sensationalize anything. So when you get mm -hmm. the delusions of Booby Miles about greatness, even after it's clear that his career is over, yeah, all all that the book does is put that in front of you and let you stare into the bleakness of it. Like he's not That's like, right. and this was so horrifically sad because of X, Y, and Z. He's just like, and Booby was a victim, and they used yeah. him. Yeah, I mean, which and, is and, totally what would happen now. You know, and, you know. and like. Uh, what was it? Mike Winchell's, uh, the quarterback's uh, kind yeah. of his own sort of insecurities, anxieties. All he did was describe it. Yes. And then he let yeah. Winchell describe it in his own words. Yeah. And so you, you get all these pictures, the same with, was it Coach Gaines? Was it Gary Gaines? Yeah. Gary Gaines. And yeah. uh, same thing with him and his, his interactions with this town and the pressure and the idolatry of football and, and all this stuff. And, uh, and yeah, and so, and so you just, it is a it is a bleak book in the sense of just like it's a little bit like Cormac McCarthy writes football. Dude, um, yes, that's a great comp. Actually, <laughs> it's a really good comp. And to be fair, the East Texas setting really works for that too. Like if it was in like the lush hills of Virginia, it would feel different. But yes. you know the nothingness of East Texas, which is I think yeah. part of the reason he picked that because he's like, there's nothing here. There's no economy. There's no. There's no. There's no beauty. There's no nothing. There's just football. Well, yeah, and he did a great job even with that. Like with the just the socioeconomic history of the area, you know, which he he went into it great length. And my students tend to be torn on that. Like some of them find it really interesting. Some find it boring. I found it fascinating because it sort of framed why football was so important you know because football yeah. is sort of the the chief export of the community that stayed you know relatively robust as the as the economy has swung wildly in one direction or the other and well, it it is yeah, definitively go, go boring mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. it's it's boring in the same way that the answer to so many questions about power and like well, why follow yeah. the money yeah. Like that's yeah. I mean, I imagine in journalism classes, like if you were in, if you were teaching investigative journalism, that'd be like somewhere in your top three points would be yeah. follow the money because yeah, that's 100%. that unearths all sorts of power dynamics and history and all this stuff. So it's not interesting in the sense of like, boy, there was a lot of explosive action. Yeah, but it's fascinating in the sense of this. This is why the town is the way it is. Yeah. Dude, I want to I want to 
take another quick break and do a couple more Friday Night Lights things with you right after this quick break. All right, Piper, back. Let's go just quick on a couple of Friday Night Lights things. Who's your favorite character? Can you remember back that far? Ah, man, let's see. My recollection is there was two characters. There was a Brian... Um, Brian Chavez, yeah. Yes, Brian Chavez. He's... And, and he, correct me if I'm wrong. He's like the Harvard-bound... Yes. Uh, like, brilliant guy. One of the only sort of truly hardworking academic Smart students. football players. And then yeah, also yeah. an utter savage on the football field. Is that... Yes. Am I thinking of yeah, the right guy? Him. Yep. Yeah, yep. I think... I think Chavez was maybe the most interesting character to me for that reason. I mean, you have the fact that he's um, he's Latino. He's an he's an academic. Just he's busting his his chops, trying yeah. to uh, trying to make it there, and a killer on the football field. And those two things don't usually go hand in hand. So he stands yeah. out to me a lot. And then the older I've gotten, so I I re-listened to the book a couple of years ago. And gains became a lot more meaningful to me as a, well, I would have been like 38 when I listened to it, Mm -hmm. you know, so very far removed from high school and much closer, maybe exactly where he was age wise, life wise. Yeah. Gaines is a fascinating figure because his problems are very adult problems, but he lived, he lives among teenagers, you know, and like, it's sort of like the chess pieces that he's moving around the board are teenagers, but um, the pressures, the money, the, you know, do I play this injured player? You know, even the way he speaks to them, which I, I don't know. I think if you played high school in football or you played football in high school, the way Gaines talks to his team scans is sort of romantic and nostalgic. But if like my wife reading it was like he's manipulative. You know, and I'm like, well, yeah, every every high school football coach every is manipulative. Every good coach is. Well, yeah, you're trying to get people to do things that are insane, you know? Like, like really, you're trying to get boys to do a very manly thing, which is go and try to hurt each other, you know? Um, it doesn't make any sense. You sort of have to be talked into it uh, in most cases. So, yeah, I, I thought Gaines was fascinating. So where are you at on the movie? Because I'm I'm all in on the movie to such a degree that I couldn't do the TV show. Um, I, I think people ride with one Friday Night Lights thing or the other. Are you a movie or a TV show guy? Uh, I'm both, but in, in the same way. So I'm going to use an example that you have to deny all understanding of. Um, sure. I loved the movie because it it captured the book really well. It was yes. cast well. It was acted well. Yes. The, the pacing of it, all of it was brilliant. And it is nothing like the Friday Night Lights TV show. So, uh, but I, which I also really enjoyed for its own sort of like saccharine ridiculousness and like Hollywood mm-hmm. over the topness. Like, yeah. okay, that's fun. That felt more like a typical sports movie. Yeah. But just over the course of like six seasons or whatever it was. Yeah. So it, the comparison is this um, the movie is like a really good craft beer. Mm. And the show. <laughs> is like a Miller High Life after mowing the lawn. Uh, These are not the same beverages. They call them both beer. They are not the same beverages. So I don't understand, especially if my employer is listening. I have no idea what Pipe's talking about. Yeah, you don't don't have any idea. Okay, uh, yeah, it gets... 
it's like the difference between Coke and Coke Zero. Like they both have Coke sure. in the name. They are not the same thing. Um, oh, that's right. So y- that you can that you yeah, can that, understand that I can wholeheartedly uh, appear to understand. Put it, put it in Baptist parlance. Sweet mm. tea and unsweet tea, except that that doesn't work because unsweet tea is just trash. But um, yeah. but that's that's kind of how I view them. Where I'm like, one of these has its time and place, and it's enjoyable for its thing. But it's like it's it's not the real thing. And then the no, movie right. the movie is the real thing, and it's excellent. Yeah, it's so good, dude. And um, yeah, I, I I almost can't get enough of it. You know, I, I think I watch it every fall. Tristan's really fond of it. And um, yeah, we just really enjoy it. Great stuff. Uh, all right. Let's get to another category here. Let's go guilty pleasure book or author. Guilty pleasure book or author. Do you have things like this? Yes, I 100% okay. do. Not like guilty, like I'm embarrassed for moral reasons, but more just like yeah. on in terms of literary quality, these things are mm-hmm. Twinkies. Yeah. I I am a total sucker for like a 20-book series um, <laughs> about a single law enforcement character. Oh, that's so, great. Yeah. Like the Mitch Rapp books where he's, you know, he's just the the, the world's greatest assassin and spy. The Scott yeah. Harvath books by Brad Thor, same thing. There's like 20 of these. The uh, Daniel Silva's Gabriel Alon books. Again, there's like 20 of them. Yeah. And uh, the Walt Longmire books, the mm-hmm. uh, Jill Pickett books. Like I, could, I mean, there's just I, – I do most of these on audiobooks because you can get through them a lot faster. Yeah. Uh, and also like they're, they're kind of perfect for audiobook because like when I'm sitting down to read, I want to enter sort of a certain mental space of thoughtfulness and I want to have a pen yeah. in hand and, and kind of be, uh, I want to get some nutrition out of it, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas audiobooks are like, tell me, a, tell me a story, just captivate mm-hmm. me while I spend two hours in the car. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. so yeah, I, I would say those are my. <clears throat> my guilty pleasures and i'll go up and down the line because like i'll go all the way down to like david baldacci and like, his books are garbage like there's mm-hmm. such bad writing yeah. uh but delightfully ridiculous characters you know like a huge uh just like a huge massive overweight uh pseudo detective who uh-huh. uh he had a brain injury that now mm-hmm. makes it so he has he has a, a photographic memory, and oh, I'm like, and amazing. he's got a whole series yeah. of books about this guy, and it's called they're called the Memory Man books, and I'm like, these nice. books are so dumb, but I will listen to all of them. Yeah, oh, that's good. I, so I'm going to put you on the kind of radio chase lounge for a minute. Why, why, you know, for a guy who you worked in publishing before what you're doing now, which is being a pastor, um. And there are a lot of guys like this, probably myself included. I like I never wanted to be a cop, you know. So like I never had that experience of I don't know, just being a kid and wanting to be a cop, you know. But I'm I'm kind of with you on cop narratives. Why are they so interesting? And so like what what for you, as you think about your own life, your own like interior life, what's the what's kind of the entry point or the the on ramp for all these cop stories for you? Oh man, that's a good question. I uh because the thing is, I, I enjoy movies very similarly. Like, yeah. I have to be in the right frame of mind to do... Like, I watched Whiplash the other night for the first time. We can discuss that on a different oh, episode. Dude. You've brought yeah. it up in a couple episodes. Like, that is a... That is not uh, light entertainment. Correct. Um, yeah. And I knew that going in, so I was kind of in the yeah. right frame of mind. But then I will watch all the James Bond movies or... 
mm-hmm. you know, the extraction movies that are, you know, with, with Chris sure. Hemsworth, where it's just like explosions <laughs> and action. Yeah. And I love it. I'm a total yes. sucker for it. Um, yeah. And I, I think it's – so I think part of it is – part of it is I – I spend the vast majority of my mental energy reading and studying things that are pretty dense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't mean that in an arrogant way. It's just like when you, when you live in sort of a theological or, you know, teaching realm, there's a lot of sort of mental muscle work that goes into it. Yeah. And, and so like, I, I need to have like the pendulum needs to swing kind of far the other way yeah. for me to, uh, to find just sort of sheer, kind of mind numbing enjoyment yeah no and I, I think i get it. i think the cop thing is like there's part of it just sort of like it's it is a bit vicarious in an yeah. absurd way yeah. like not not man i wish these guys existed in the real world because like when you when you read a book or listen to a book about a vigilante cop you're like i'm i'm glad that doesn't i'm glad that's not the way it, it works most yeah. of the time yeah. that seems terrible but yeah. also boy that's fun I'm glad yeah. that guy just that guy just pulls out his gun and shoots the bad guys. Like that's pretty cool, uh, dude. Yeah. So well, there, there's sort of a vicarious aspect. There's sort of an absurd aspect, mm-hmm. and then there's just sort of like the. I think there's just the high of action. Yeah. yeah, definitely, an action that's happening to characters that you've decided to care about, and not because you know everything about them, but just because you know enough, and the the author gives you enough, right? So. If you're going in on a cop narrative, chances are you care about the guy a little bit. And vis-a-vis the vicariousness, I totally agree. I also think there's something for a dude. There's some there's something in it of like what would I do? So, knowing that I'll probably never be in these scenarios, like still what would I do and you you kind of do the work of thinking through if I was a cop, how would I handle this? So there's that. But then there's like I don't know. And you and I, by God's grace, you know, we have lovely wives and lovely families and and kind of, I say this with great affection, boring suburban existences. You know what I mean? Where like, no one's like- Stable is the word you're looking for. Stable. Yeah, stable. And like, yeah, like nobody's firing bullets through our windows, thank God. And, you know, so we're we're not sort of confronted with these things. But I, I think part of the escapism is like, you get that shot in the movie of, you know, the cop going back to his kind of gritty apartment in the city. And he's he's like, you know, flopping down on the sofa and just pulling the bottle of bourbon or whatever right out of the freezer and pouring himself a little bit. And, you know, there, there's something kind of gritty and free about that where it's like this person answers to no one. You know, he's not getting yeah. up in the morning and deciding, like, who's going to take the kid to school. <laughs> you know, he's like. He rolls out of bed, like shakes off the hangover, and is like, "I'm I'm going out to catch bad guys." There's there's kind of a yeah single mindedness about that that's pretty cool. But it's also far enough removed from our reality that we can be like, "Thank mm-hmm. God I don't live like that." You know, like yeah. I like I don't look at that with jealousy. I just no. sort of it's sort of like uh, I mean it's 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 kind of like superhero movies except closer to home. Because, yeah. like, maybe, maybe I used to live in a crappy apartment like that. Like, I've never flown yeah. around with a cape, so, like, whatever. Yeah. That's its own yeah. version of entertainment. But this mm-hmm. is, like, you know, that I have I have lived in squalor before. I have yes. been a broke single dude before. And, yeah. and then, because if, if somebody wrote, it, like, 
the cop movies where they try to deal in the moral complexities of balancing family and being a good dad and being a good mm-hmm. husband and do you take the shot or not and all, like that's that's not an entertaining genre yeah. It is a it's it might be a captivating genre if it's done well. It's certainly a thought-provoking one. There's a lot of there's a lot there. But yeah. if I just want to be entertained, I want the moral simplicity of what you just described. Like we have taken all the variables off the table. This man lives for the job, and really yeah. what he lives for is his own sense of justice. Yeah. He has a he has a moral compass that lives in his head and that's what he's following. He just happens to have a badge and a gun. Yeah, no, totally. And that that's very appealing. So I'm going to ask you another question. Where are you at on the kind of cop trope of the good guy has to become bad to catch the bad guys? And I'm thinking specifically of two movies. One is The Untouchables uh, and the other Public Enemies, Michael Mann thing from, I don't know, a decade or so ago. Mm -hmm. And in both cases, the cop was kind of this, in the first act, he was sort of this apple-cheeked, like, I'm a good cop. I'm a good man. I go home to my wife and three kids and, you know, we have dinner and listen to stories on the radio or whatever. And and by the third act, this guy is like, you know, morally compromised, but successful in catching the bad guy. I feel like that's a cop trope that I find kind of interesting from time to time. Where are you at on it? Oh, it's definitely interesting, especially as a like a moral thought experiment. Yeah, you know the sort of rough men stand ready in the night type of thing. Yeah, um, yeah. Which I think realistically, like if you look at at the world in which we live, you go, yeah, yeah. Sometimes we yeah. need men willing to do violent things to mm-hmm. stop bad men from doing more violent things to innocent people. Yes. The question is, where are the borders on the 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 moral or ethical borders on? What what will our violent men like? Where will they stop? Right, and, can, and will, then and then can yeah. they turn it off? You know that right. kind of thing. So yeah. I, as it as a as a trope, I get it. It's also part of the reason why that sort of like isolated, grizzled, you know, beef jerky, dried up husk of a cop works <laughs> right. because he, he's already the bad man. Like yes. he's yeah. he's either he's either denied him he's sort of an ascetic he's either denied yeah. himself everything or he's lost everything because yeah, his his you know sweet, control it. Yeah. sweet gentle wonderful wife was like I I can't live with you if you're like this which is yeah. heartbreaking but like he's kind of moved into that space of uh, he's been burned I, up inside I, I am the rough man who exists purely to fight the bad men. And, uh, yeah. so it's, yeah, I, I'm, uh, we don't wrestle with that nearly as much in like a military context. You know yeah. what I mean? Like there's yeah, a the lines are a lot clearer. Right. And so, which, which, you know, that leads to all sorts of questions about like, what's the difference between policing and military and so forth, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I, honestly, like that's a, that's a complex conversation. I think there should be a very big gap between those two things, but, uh, yeah. but yeah, I, I, as a, as a sort of character trope, yeah. I'm kind of I'm kind of here for it. Yeah. Where a good storyteller will uh well so like Craig Johnson the guy who wrote all the Walt Longmire books mm-hmm. writes this stuff really well because because over the course of a series of books main character Walt Longmire kind of becomes more vigilante in various mm-hmm. contexts and what it costs him in friendships and relationships elsewhere or or how those friends are sort of his uh 
his conscience is right. is pretty fascinating and 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 Johnson does it well. He writes it pretty well. Others are just like whatever, we're going to keep it simple. This guy just shoots folks. Yeah. So I I have a follow-up question on that. I, you and I are both like really drawn to to that kind of thing. You know, to either burned up vigilante cop a la Walt Longmire or the kind of good guy who has to become bad. He has to do some violent things. I don't know. That resonates with me at a deep level and it feels not all that far from reality, right? Like it feels like a couple of moves down the chessboard and we could be there. Um, and I, I, my wife and I love this, uh, this show. It's an Italian cop show called Rocco Schiavone's ice cold murders. And he's sort of that figure, the the kind of burned up inside, got to do some questionable things, but he still has some charisma. He's still like well liked around the office. I don't know. It's like if there were a million episodes of that, I would watch all of them. I would watch one <laughs> every day. You know, like I, I will never get tired of that kind of character. But <clears throat> there are people, there are men. Ronnie is one of them who would have no interest in this whatsoever. Um, and if he were on the program right now, he'd be falling all over himself to talk about how boring this is and how uninteresting it is to like think about men being oh, in, like... He'd be falling all over himself to not talk at all and just let yeah. his silence declare the boredom of this whole thing that we've spent 12 minutes discussing <laughs> or whatever it's been. So my, my question is... Like what? What is it about him or, or about people like that that make them not interested in this? Because uh, I I don't get it. I don't know how anyone could not be interested in it. I guess is is where I'm at on it. You know, I, I can't. I I'm not sure why people resonate with what they resonate with. What mm -hmm. I find fascinating is our propensity to sort of to rank what we are interested in in a in a sort of we are superior to you way. So yeah. you know. If, if Ronnie's guilty pleasure, as he has declared, so I'm not like outing him here, is like yeah. Christian romance fiction, right? He is going to see that likely as superior to the the kind of moral degradation of violence and all that stuff that we just described. Really enjoying. Whereas I yeah. look at that stuff and I'm like, that that's just like licking corn syrup. That's just, just disgusting. <laughs> and yeah. and and so we are drawn to what we're drawn to, you know. And and I think. I think the reasons for them both are similar in terms of like, it's sort of an, an enjoyable turn your brain off. You come away. It sort of feels like you just sort of had your, yeah. all this dense thought sort of scrubbed from your head. You can just sort of be like, ah, okay, that was, that was pleasurable. Yeah. And, uh, maybe something vicarious in there, you know, if Ronnie's more of a feeler and you and I are more like, I, I just want to do something, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Maybe Men one day action. I get to do something heroic or active. Yeah. I don't know. And, uh, yeah. But but I look at his stuff and I'm like, that is so stupid. And he looks at mine and thinks the exact same thing. That's yeah. what's fascinating to me about this is that like, okay, I don't know why people are drawn to what they are. Yeah. I do find it hilarious that my guilty pleasure is less dumb than your guilty pleasure. Yeah, that's true. That That is such like a, a part of the guilty pleasure paradigm that's baked in is judging someone else's guilty pleasure for sure. Whereas I, I guess... The Christian romance novel and the cop novel, they kind of exist on the same organ to me in that they're, yeah, and you made the point, right? They're sort of both equally, 
uh, shallow or non-rigorous or fun, but they're just fun in different ways. Well, they're One both which... utter, they're both utterly unrealistic. They're both yeah. You know, I, I could make points about, like, you called that one Christian, and this one is definitively not Christian, which means mine is at least honest. But yeah. uh, but whatever. That's picking yeah. nits. Pipe, we got to take our third ad break. And then I want to come back, and I want to ask another Ronnie-related question germane to romance novels. We'll be right back. All right, Pipe. Um, admittedly, I haven't read... Maybe any Christian romance novels, but I feel like I'm familiar with the genre. Uh, I, I, I'm trying to frame this question in a certain way. So as Ronnie's reading this Christian romance novel, who is he sort of identifying with in it? Because even the, like the, the rough-hewn like, blacksmith who moves into town and woos the school teacher <laughs> is still sort of... <laughs> like a, like many gradations away from like the persona that Ronnie is doing now. So as he's reading, does he like kind of superimpose his own experience over the blacksmith or is he in a weird way, kind of the school teacher? Um, I, do you know what I'm, do you know what I'm asking? Like, yeah. where's Ronnie in the frontier paradigm? I, 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 you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think I, I kind of, I kind of suspect that, He's not sort of putting himself in the character space as much as like, you know how you turn on mood music? Uh huh. You're going to have a bunch of people over. Like, what is the vibe of this group? Is this like a high yeah. energy thing? So you turn on something yeah. that's, you know, not like Up party tempo. music, yeah. but like, yeah, yeah. It's got, it's got a groove to it. People keeps mm -hmm. keeps the party moving. Or do you want like, uh, you're going to put on like Miles Davis and bring this mm -hmm. thing down a little bit? It's just going to be chill, chill. Contemplative. Yeah. I yeah. kind of think Ronnie reads these books like that. Like they are, yeah. they're, they're the mood, they're like emotional mood music kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and so it puts him in a place of like, man, there's just it, happily ever after and like good things are happening for folks. And like it's good yeah. to see people coming together and like, yeah. You know, I think I think conflict is very stressful for Ronnie, whereas you and mm -hmm. I'm maybe maybe sinfully so really maybe take a little bit more enjoyment out of some good conflict. Like let's yeah, yeah let's pick a fight. Yeah. That sounds fun. And right. uh and so I, I kinda think it's I kinda think it's sort of uh mood music on a page. Okay. That that actually makes that makes a lot of sense. Um yeah. And I, I I don't know, for me, like to get to get into a book, there has to be something in it that I can like the phrase relate to is 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 not quite adequate for this, but I have to be able to see some aspect of like either my experience or some idealized future experience. I have to be able to see that in a book. You know what I mean? Which is why I couldn't read I don't know a book about like, I don't know, lesbian paleontologists or whatever. Like I'm not a lesbian. I'm not into science. Like there's, there's just no way I would read that book, you know, but if there's even like a little crackle of overlap to my own life, I would, I, I could get into it. Um, which is why, which is why, like, right, let me, yeah, let me ask you a question yeah. about that. So I, yeah. that you, you have hit very close to a reading experience <clears throat> I've had over the last few weeks. So I, I've been reading a handful of stuff. So Anthony Doerr is an author. He wrote All mm -hmm. the Light We Cannot See. That's the book that everybody knows by him. 
yeah. um, you know, one Pulitzer Prize, brilliant book, and 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 uh, like brilliantly written, but also like a great story. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I'm gonna read other Anthony Doerr stuff. Right. I hate it all, as far as I can tell. Like, at least at least what I've found so far, because yeah. his his writing remains sublime. And I don't know okay. another way to put it because it has sort of it. It's 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 sort of a, a subtle draw you into a sort of dream state kind of thing going on. Yeah. None of his characters matter. Mm. None of his stories resolve. Mm. As at least you know, again, I haven't read the the full breadth, but a couple of short stories and his 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 uh, first novel that he came out with. Mm-hmm. And so my question in light of this is. You know, he, he doesn't write about lesbian paleontologists, but he's not that mm-hmm. far off. And sure. uh, there is something in the writing that keeps me turning the pages, even yeah. though I abhor the story itself. And I'm like, yeah. this is not worth recommending to anyone. <laughs> yeah. How do you, like, where, where is that merger for you of like, the writing is so good, I'll keep going. Yeah. Versus yeah. this story is so dumb, I'm quitting. Yeah, that's a really good question. And that's where I think, and you're probably like this, I'm guessing, like the craftsman aspect of of this, you know, the fact that we're both in the writing business, right? So if I'm reading something and the writing is exquisite, but the story means nothing to me, like you, I'll probably keep going, you know, because I I enjoy enjoy seeing a craftsman work. You know, and I mean, to some degree, Infinite Jest was like that in the sense that, like, there's so many characters and you don't care about all of them. And clearly that's a book with a point, right? Like, even though it took 1,200 pages to do it, like he was making a point about entertainment and the culture and how we're going to destroy ourselves and all that stuff. So, like, but, but on a page to page level, it really just was about the writing. You know, and yeah, I'll I'll stay with a book like that. Um, not always, but but a, lo- a lot of times I'll stay with a book like that. And I think it's because I'm in the writing business, you know. And and I, I think more so than Ronnie, and definitely more so than like my wife, who I really admire as a fiction reader. I'm so grounded in the world of reality that like I have to be able to get something from it. You know what I mean? It, the book has to either move me forward as a writer or be something I can relate to. Whereas I really admire people who can read a book that has nothing to do with them in any way and still enjoy it. Um, I kind of I wish I was more like that, you know? Yeah, I it, I feel like the, 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 the merger point of like good writing versus bad story mm-hmm. in a book is mm-hmm. a very different place than like with a movie. So like... Yeah. Uh, what was the movie I just mentioned? Um, Whiplash. Yeah. I, w- I would venture to say Whiplash would be akin to a brilliantly written book with a very unsatisfactory story. Yeah, I don't disagree. However, in a two-hour movie with multiple performances going on, that the that is a very different experience because the acting was great and the writing was great. And the story, while unsatisfactory, was thought-provoking. You know, it was, yeah. was open-ended and kind of like, oh, okay, I'm going yes. to chew on this one. Yeah. A, book, a book is not satisfactory. And also, you're talking minimum, usually with novels, minimum 300 pages of commitment yeah. 
to this. And so I, I feel like, I mean, I, I give it like a chapter or two before I'm like, yeah, I'm out. Nothing, nothing here is, is hooking me. I, yeah. I can't do this. That's the way I feel about like all Marilyn Robinson, Marilyn Robinson books would be another one that like people in our camp love them. Yes. And I've tried and tried and tried again, and I cannot get past about chapter two. And I'm like this, she, she can write definitively brilliantly. And I do not care. I do not care yeah. about anything on these pages. And yeah, uh, that's hard. And so, yeah, I'm just like, I'm not giving it 350 pages of my time to something I can't care about. Yeah. And like the heart wants what the heart wants there, you know? And like, it, it's, it's sort of like, we just, we care about the stuff we care about. And I, I mentioned it a couple of eps ago. I just finished reading this book by this um, boxing promoter from Philadelphia and the writing was like definitively mid, you know, and he was a journalism major in college. So he had some like he could write, he could tell a story. But the the structure of the book was basically him going through every fight card that he'd ever promoted and like talking about the fighters and then explaining if it made money or not. I mean, it was really like not necessarily intended to draw in a broad audience, but I, w I was kind of like transfixed by it. I'm like. If I'm going into this book to learn about the life of a boxing promoter, I have learned it. You know, like he has he has given me that. And because I care about that, for some reason, it was interesting to me. But like for the vast majority of the peop of, of people, that would be a boring book. And well, that's how I, I mean, that's how I feel about like Jeff Perlman's books. You know, you've yeah. so I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm working my way through his Bo Jackson biography right now. And he's written. I mean, mm -hmm. he his strength Mm -hmm. is in picking his subjects and getting access. Yes, that's and right. And so phenomenal information on super interesting subjects. And mm -hmm. he's just a mediocre writer. Like it's not I agree. Yeah. If you read if you go read like Roland Lazenby's biography of Michael Jordan or of Kobe Bryant, you go yeah. that's a biographer. Like that's Walter yeah. Isaacson level biography stuff. Sure. And then Perlman is like, "Nah, he's not that good." But man, these characters the characters that he's writing about, the stories that yeah. he heard about him, his access to like their their next door neighbor when they were in third grade is uh, yes. is phenomenal. Like he he works to collect he the does. stuff for those books. Yeah, he's a workhorse. He's a journalist though, not a writer. You know, and and there's a there's a difference. He's a reporter, and he's a very good reporter. Um, and a yeah, to your point, a very forgettable writer. But those books are so fun to read. Like I'm looking over at my bookshelf right now at like. Yeah, the Perlman Favre biography, which was a blast. The Walter Payton one, which was amazing. The one on the 90s Cowboys. Um, he, maybe more than any other uh, kind of popular nonfiction writer, he's perfected the thing that he does. You know, yeah. like there's a Jeff Perlman thing. And when you buy that book, you know what you're getting. It's a great, like, get it for Christmas kind of book because you know you're going to enjoy it. There's no risk what, involved. Yeah, and he, and he knows his audience. And it's like men of a certain age. Yep. You know, who cares about Bo Jackson, men of a certain age? Who cares about the yeah. USFL, men of a certain age? You know, who exactly. cares about the 90s Cowboys? Same group of dudes. And, yeah. uh, and, and so he just, and he's just cranking out books that he's like, there are, I don't know, 50 million of these men in the United States. And if I can get 1% of them to buy this book gangbusters i know it's it's brilliant and part of me is jealous that he thought of that and like <laughs> gets to do it but he he does it really well and 
I have I have this experience, and I gotta go here soon because I've got a thing at nine o'clock. But I have this this experience reading his books where I thoroughly enjoy them, but I go I I wouldn't want to do this. You know what I mean? Like the 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 writer in me wants to write, and I want to put myself in the stories, and I want to do pages and pages of analysis. Like I don't want to interview Bo Jackson's third grade classmate. You know, like no part of me really wants to do that. And yet it's the thing about those Perlman books that makes them so enjoyable. Um, it's just kind of an interesting, like, I can assent from afar that this is well done, but I wouldn't want to do it myself. Yeah. And it, he definitely, it, the, the reporter thing comes through because he is not, he's not trying to trace a narrative thread. So like in, right. in um, Lazenby's biography of Jordan, it seems to be there's sort of a question of like, what made Michael Jordan? Right. And and it's and it's a narrative. And it's a really mm. well researched one. Really well sourced, but but there's a thread of Jordan becoming Jordan. Yes. And Bo Jackson is more just like, well, who's Bo Jackson? And and it's just all of these stuff. And and he's actually starting from the place of like, man, everybody thinks they know who Bo, who Bo Jackson is. Everybody knows. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Bo knows this and that and the other thing. And uh and sort of starting from the place of legend and going, Well, what's the what's the backstory behind the legend? And so yeah. it allows for just a lot more of that like this was his upbringing. These were his family, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it is a, the, the, re, the reporter thing works so well in that context, which is the same for the, uh, what was it? The, the eighties Lakers, the nineties oh, yeah, mm-hmm. Cowboys, uh, the USFL. There's sort of this like, Oh yeah, everybody knows. Except yeah. what's the story behind what everybody knows. Right. Right. No, it's fascinating. He does it really well. Um, one one last quick question. Did you watch the 80s Lakers thing on HBO Max? Winning no, time? I have a really hard time watching fictionalized versions of real stuff if I know the real stuff at all. Yes, yeah. So, like, you know, if I watch, like, the King's Speech, that's fictionalized of a real thing, except I whatever, they're all dead, and I didn't know who any of those people were anyway. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But, like, the 80s Lakers, I'm like, I know who all these people are, and half of them are still involved in the league. This feels really yeah. uncomfortable to me. Yeah, yeah. No, I get it. I totally get it. Pipe, we got to go. We've done what we always do in this program, um, in that we've gone almost an hour on books. We probably could do another hour, honestly. We, we only scratched the surface of the categories. Maybe we'll do a part two next week. Um, but <laughs> next, next time, I've, Ronnie lets us know morning of that he's not going to be on the show. Which will be next week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, wonder, I, wonder if, uh, I wonder if Ronnie is in Odessa, Texas, paying homage to the Permian Panthers. You know, th- this could be, it was right in front of us the whole time. He's, he's oh, there man. at Radliff Stadium. If that was the case, I, I, think I, I think my heart would actually split in half out of, like, pride <laughs> and jealousy yeah. and shock. Yeah. Just, I know. just gone. That would be too much for us emotionally. Yes. That'd be a, a lot to deal with. But uh, I, I agree. I would have the same experience. But there's a, a 0% chance of that happening. Although Ronnie does like sports movies. He would he never does. read Friday Night Lights, but he would watch the movie. I don't would, know that I've ever discussed Ronnie do that. A, would Ronnie do a sports pilgrimage to a fictionalized sports place? Like getting Ronnie to go to a baseball game is, you know, I feel like that would be like pulling teeth. But getting Ronnie yeah. to go visit like the Field of Dreams? Eh? Okay. Would he? Yeah. He might, dude. I think he would. I'll say this. I've been to a Major League Baseball game with Ronnie before. 
Um, and it was a very interesting experience, right? Um, in that, so this was, this was like a decade ago and I was in, I was in town maybe for grad school or something. And we, we went to Jacobs field to watch the Indians. And it was like a couple of dudes from his church who were just like salt of the earth, central Ohio dudes, like the kind Mm -hmm. of dudes that wear the Jersey of the team to the game. Right. They were like swinging by and picking us up for the game. And the game was an exercise in like Ronnie kind of being like, oh, uh, I don't care about this. This is so dumb. You know, I can't believe people do this, you know, but also like kind of enjoying it at the same time. And it was pre-social media. So like there would have been no way for him to like leverage it. I'm sure his his relationship with the experience would have been different now. But it was it was real fascinating to see him in that you know in that kind of setting um it and yeah like his friends were genuinely enjoying it and i was like kind of enjoying it cuz i love pro baseball and i but i don't care about the indians you know and we were a zillion rows up and it was just kind of a, a thing to do but um but yeah i think we could get him i think we could pretty confidently get him to the field of dreams field i i feel bullish on that yeah, I, I feel like that's in the realm of like, yeah, he I think he would do that. Yeah, I do too. And or the the gym from Hoosiers, dude. <laughs> that's one we could easily make yes. happen. That'd be like a two and a half hour drive for him. He could just go like due west from Ashland and be there in a couple hours. I feel like that needs to happen. Um I've never seen that which is shameful. Like given that I grew up in Indiana and I spend a whole bunch of time there, I've never seen it, but uh, pipe, we've done what we always do on this program. And until next time. We want to take a moment to thank the team at life audio for partnering with us on this podcast. Be sure to go to lifeaudio.com and take a look at the other podcasts in their network. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. Have you ever felt conflict between your faith and feelings? If so, you're not alone. My name's Carly Mercouillier. I'm a licensed therapist and the host of the Therapy and Theology podcast, where we explore popular topics and questions related to faith, feelings, and spiritual formation. I want to invite you to join me every Thursday as we fearlessly name the complexities of our reality, grow in the awareness of who we are, and rediscover the power and purpose of our unique stories through the lens of the gospel. Subscribe today at lifeaudio.com.